So we're going to wrap up the series today, and the passage is a super long one. Do you have your bulletin and the insert? So if you guys will take the next 15 minutes and read that. <laughs> we're not going to read the passage today. Uh, but my goal for, t- for this morning I want is twofold. I want two things to happen today. Um, one is to br- briefly touch on, there's a lot of areas in this that, that Jesus touches on. And then secondly is one of the primary things that hold it together. Because there's a, a really strong piece to the puzzle. And I've even got post-it notes for that part. So he starts out by talking about treasures in heaven. He starts out warning us that we actually do have to make choices to follow him. We have to choose. We have to, to evaluate our lives and make judgments whether we're putting our stock in the things of the world or in the things of God. We have to make those choices. And too often we kind of want to, hey, can I just keep my worldly stuff and I'll follow you on Twitter. <laughs> That's easier to do than following you in real life, right? But he makes the point in the passage that we can't, cannot serve both God and money. We can't serve them both. So we have to make a choice. We have to judge which is the one that we want to do. Do we want to have, have our lives be about making money? Or do we want to have our lives be about following God? And so we, so we have to make those choices. Um, and once again, you know, I, it's often folks will go, well, God doesn't like money. That's just not true. You know, I think John Wesley was right when he, when he said, you know, you've heard me say it before, is that with money, you want to make all you can and save all you can so that you can give all you can. So you want to give all you can, right, Faith? That's right. So, so you make all you can, save all you can, and then you can give all you can. He says this in 1 Timothy 6.10, it's the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's not money it's the love of money that gets us in trouble. And so that's what we have to make a judgment about. We need to judge where our treasure is. Is my treasure in the things of the world or in the things of God? So we need to judge where our treasure is. Where is my treasure? Where is my heart? Where, where is the, what is it that I love? Uh, but he doesn't really leave that alone for us because he does attempt to alleviate our worldly concerns. He does get that the things in this, in this world are important to us. We need a place to stay. We need, a, we need those things in our life. Uh, but he, has, he reminds us that he has a plan for that. When he says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Two things jump out about that. One is that God provides for our daily needs. He provides food. He provides places for us to stay. He, he provides water. But I think most importantly is that you are more valuable to God than anything out there in creation. You are more valuable to God than anything out there. You matter. You matter. 
too often, you know, the world tries to pull us away from that identity as a child of God. You matter to God. It makes a difference to Him. Your life makes a difference to Him. The choices that you make make a difference to Him. They always have and they always will. But pastor, what about all those those uh, pictures that I see on TV of all those starving children? Haven't you seen those videos that they've made? Yeah, I've seen those. I don't think you could have been around very long without seeing the pictures of the starving kids around the world and that kind of thing. But some months ago, um, I referenced this, and, and it is true. Did you know that we make enough food on this planet to feed every single person? There is enough food to feed everybody. What we have is a desire and distribution problem. The food's there, and then it's up to us what we do with that. And that's kind of always the way it is, right? I'll provide, and then you choose, you judge what you're going to do with those things. But the provision is made. Any worriers in here? Oh, just two of us? Okay. <laughs> I'm one. I, I, I do tend to worry at, at, at times, for sure. I know I'm probably not supposed to admit that, but I do. And, um, you know, it doesn't do me any good. Did you ever notice that? That, <coughs> that passage when he says worrying doesn't change a thing is absolutely true. It doesn't really change anything. Have you ever had one of these conversations where, well, they're going to say this and I'm going to say this, so when they say that, I'm going to say this back to them and then they're going to say this back to me and so then I'm going to say that and then they're going to say this, so then I'm going to respond with that and then they're going to say and then I'm going to say. You ever do that? Has it ever gone the way you pre-planned it? Never has for me. Never has. And I still do it. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? It's just the human part of us that has this thought that, that we can change all of that. And Jesus just says, don't worry about that. Worry about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added on you. Our job is to seek first. And I love what Jesus says when he says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Testify. <laughs> Each day has enough trouble on its own. I'm recovering, right? And, and, and so one of the things that when I first got sober and clean drove me absolutely crazy was the saying, one day at a time. I'm like, you don't understand. I got, I'm in trouble at work. I'm having financial trouble. I've, I'm supposed to, you know, how do I do life with that? I've been using alcohol and drugs to get me through these circumstances and situations, and I don't know how to do that, and now I'm having to learn how to do that, with, and I'm broken. I got more going on tomorrow and the rest of the year to worry about one day at a time. And they say, that's all right, Mike, just keep coming back. Take it one day at a time. <laughs> Did you not hear me? I have way more than one day at a time going on. I've got months at a time going on. You know what? Don't tell all those guys that they were right. Did you know the one day that we can make a difference in? Honestly? 
this one. You know the one moment? Now. You know? And yet we worry about what's going to come, and we worry about those things. But if we just take care of this moment, this day, this time, and when that finally got through all of my stuff, gosh, the freedom in not having to figure all that stuff out. Do we plan? Yes. Do, you know, I'm not a, you know, do everything by the seat of your pants guy, but by the same token, I do recognize this is the one moment that I have when I can make a difference, when I can do something that, that, that is honoring of God. And if I do that moment by moment by moment, then that one day of a, at a time thing kind of takes care of itself. And I've been sober since 1990. Is that incredible? Let me just tell you, that's not possible. Not who I was. And it's not possible to think in terms of however many years <laughs> that is. I don't like to think in those terms. But what I can guarantee you is that I can choose today to go to bed tonight clean and sober. And if I do that, I've, I've found that if I keep doing that, you know what happens? 1990. You know? But I don't worry about that part. I worry about this part because this is the important part. And that's, Jesus has said, each day has enough trouble. Stay in today. Deal with what you got now. It will, that will bear you plenty of good fortune in your future. And it's true. I didn't know it, but it's true. So we have to, we have to live that way. And then he goes on to say this thing about judging. Are Christians supposed to judge? Really? How do you live a life with no judgment? I've intentionally used the word judge several times this morning because we have to make judgments, right? And yet Jesus says, do not judge unless you be judged because what kind of judgment you use is going to be used against you. And yet we live in a, in a time and in a space where we have to make judgments. We have to. You can't live life without judging things. You just can't. Now, you can call it something else. I mean, I have to determine a course of action. Um, but what, you're, what are you really doing? You're making a judgment, right? Yeah, so, so I just want to push back against that idea that, we, that we're not supposed to judge anything. Each of these sections of the Sermon on the Mount today, because there's a, several, each of them require for us to examine our lives and to go, where am I? Which is to make a judgment about where I am. Did you catch where my judgment lies? Where who is? Where I am. Should I judge? Absolutely. I need to judge where I am. I need to make determinations about where I am in, in my life. And in 2 Timothy, because it's not just there, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26, says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. These are important things. Able to teach, patient, in, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. How do you correct those who are in opposition if you haven't made a determination that they're in opposition. 
So, so it makes you kind of go, okay, what is Jesus really getting at? Because all of our life is filled with things that make, require us to make determinations, to make judgment. We have these choice points that, where, where we have to make a judgment of one thing over another in our lives. What I would really like to drill home is this, because similar to forgiveness is judgment, right? Because we'll be forgiven in the same way that we forgive. We'll be judged in the same way that we judge, which means grace must prevail. Grace must prevail. We have to see these things as Christ sees them. Christ sees us through the cross. Grace prevails. God's love and grace is, is, is greater than all our wrong choices. God's love and grace is greater than all our wrong choices. And if that's how God sees us, then we need to view each other in that same light. So it doesn't mean not making judgments. It does mean don't be judgmental, right? You're going to make some determinations but you don't have to live in those. You don't have to be judgmental. You don't have to live in that judgmentalism. Because I don't want to be judged in that fashion. And guess what? If I choose that, if I choose to be judgmental, and I've told you some of the stories of me and my early Christianity, going door to door, beating people up with Strong's, Strong's Concordance in one hand and a Ryrie Study Bible in the other and saying, I know what you need. living in that judgmentalism. If I want to judge harshly, let me judge me in that light. And let me let judge you with grace. Hopefully I can judge both you and me with grace. But if I've got to be judgmental, may it be on me. And I think that Jesus gives us this to counteract our tendency towards judgmentalism. Because we're, we're human. Our tendency is to try to elevate ourselves above another. And that's kind of who we are. So, so we try to do that. All of us want leniency, and yet we ex have a tendency to exhibit judgment. What if we exhibited that same leniency that Christ gives to us? It would transform lives. Then we'd be able to have some of those tough conversations. But Jesus keeps going. We're invited into this interactive relationship where we have access to the creator of all things. But again, it's up to us. We're the ones who go to the door. We're the ones that, that ask. We're the ones who seek. We're the ones who knock on that door. And God, as the good parent, chooses. He determines whether to give us the stuff, the, the, what, what we ask for or not. And, you, you know, you're a kid. Do you give everything that your child wants or your grandkids? Do you give it to them? No, because sometimes they ask for stuff that they don't need or that's not going to be good for them. God does that same thing with us. He's our good parent. He's not Dumbledore, right? He's not, for some of my older guys, he's not Merlin. He's not a wizard going, okay, you have asked, so let me, you will have it. It's not how it works. You know, he's looking out for our best interest. He wants us to, to, to have those things in our life that will enable us to follow him and to live for him. He is a good, good father. Amen. He is a good, good father. He's looking out for us in the giving. And sometimes folks use this passage in a, you may have heard, name it and claim it. 
kind of way where they name something they want and claim it in prayer before they receive it. Now, part of that is good. Part of that is a prayer of faith, and those are good prayers. But generally, the name it and claim it folks are looking at cars and houses and money and that kind of stuff, and, and I'm going to have a $5 million by you know, next week because God's going to give it to me. You know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, I would hazard to guess that's not what Jesus is teaching because it wasn't but two passages before when he said the love of money is the root of all evil. So, so I don't think he's talking about that. But as we grow in faith, our prayer life aligns with God's will. And as our prayer life aligns with God's will, we want the things that God wants for us. It transforms us. Um, those things that are important to God are the things that we're drawn to pray for. And he closes this passage with several things. He says, the narrow, it talks about the narrow and wide gates, true and false prophets, true and false di disciples, wise and foolish builders. And each of those segments warn us. They say, be vigilant because these things are out there. It's easy to get led astray. It's easy to get led away from a God-focused life. And that leads me to my second primary goal for this morning. It's about eternity. Jesus is, is, is pointing us to eternity. Yeah, he wants us to, to live here, but where's your treasure? Is it in heaven or is it on, in, on earth? Don't worry about your life here. What's that dash between your birth and your death? That's life, and it's like this big. I, we strung a rope around here one day, you know, to exhibit, you know, and I marked off like this much of the end to show this is the life that we have, and then you know, 100 feet of rope was pointing to eternity, but it goes on. And we spend all our time focused so much on this much of what's in front of us. We've got to get focused on eternity. And don't waste your time being judgmental in a temporary setting. Be lenient. It's not going to hurt you. In fact, it's going to help you because then it frees God to be lenient as well. Treat others as you would be treated. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the eternal love that God speaks of, is, is that agape love, loving God, loving your neighbor. But don't miss. Be cautious. Eternity is at stake. <coughs> Excuse me. And many are going to fall. Many are going to choose to take the wide road that leads to destruction. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false teachers, false disciples. And they're, they're going to lead you astray. Many of them unknowingly. So what do you do? Well, you ask you, for discernment. You, you seek wisdom. You knock as hard as you need to on that door. God will give you wisdom and discernment. But there's also those who are going to be true teachers and true disciples who are going to lead you down the right path. But how do you figure who, who they are? You ask. They'll be known by their fruit, but you ask for wisdom. You, you seek discernment, and God will give those things to you. And you look for the fruit. Their life will be showing fruit. A useful question in this is what is the eternal significance of something? You've heard me ask that before. So you can help me. Is this awesome chair eternal or temporary? Temporary? So it has temporary significance, and then it'll go, at some point, it'll go away, right? Judy Dodd, does she have temporary or eternal significance? Eternal. eternal. She has, 
a soul that, that loves God and is going to spend eternity with him. That's probably bad, huh? Yeah. I was at a church once, and you know what we got in an argument about in a building project? Does the color of the rug have temporary <laughs> or eternal significance? <laughs> what about Rick Hutchison? I know. Oh, you're not temporary. You're eternal. Let me swap that one. A <laughs> little of both. A <laughs> little of both. No, you can't. Sorry. The body is temporary, absolutely. But you see the difference? We, when we ask what is the eternal significance of something, then it can help us to discern how much time we need to spend on something, right? Because we spend a lot of time focused on things that have temporary significance and lose sight of the fact that when, we're, when we have that eternal perspective, that Jesus is trying to get us to, where's your treasure lie, all of the things that he's teaching, you know, when, when we lose sight of that, we get lost in the things of this world. And we don't want to do that. That's a great. At the end of the day, each of us has to make that decision. Who are we going to follow? Am I going to go where God is leading? I seek to be a true disciple, a true teacher, and a wise builder because I recognize the importance and the weight of this role that I have in the body of Christ. Pastor, preacher. And I seek with all that I am to honor him and to teach truth. That said... I'm a man, and I'm a human. And if something strikes you as, wait a minute, I need to check that out. You know what you need to do? You need to check that out. Questions are good. Questions are good. Too long in the church, we've said, don't ask. Questions are good. Ask questions. Discern. Seek wisdom. And this is best done together. It's best done in small groups. For us, those are our grow groups. We grow best when we grow together in a grow group. Would be a way to say that here. It's important that we ask these questions and seek this wisdom from God. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught with authority. And these teachings of Jesus are important for us to spend time with. You saw there's a, a place for the sermons online. We still have several of the John Stott Sermon on the Mount books. They're, they will gather dust on our shelf. If you don't have one and you want to delve into this, grab one of them. Take it with you. I don't care. If you want to make a donation, fine, but don't. I don't care. They don't need to be here. They need to be somewhere being used. Seek this wisdom from, from God. There's a power that comes. There's a power in these words of Christ. When Jesus speaks and we listen and we follow, they're worth your time. 
and it will help you become the men and women of God that you're called to be, to be you for him. Be who you are, but be who you are for him.